I'm your host, Rena Friedman-Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Thanks, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mom is calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy cause he knows your best. Better call daddy cause he's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees Today's guest, Brian Ward, is the podcast host of The Dad Up Show. It's a show for dads about dads being dads. My dad says that he's even elevated his dad game because he comes across as very loving and understanding. And in order to do that, that comes from the example that you had. Brian, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Thank you for hopping on here. I am so excited because I listened to a bunch of episodes of your podcast and I feel like we have so much in common because you've had on your wife, I've had on my husband, you've had on your dad. I do the podcast with my dad. You speak to dads. Dads are your audience. I also have a lot of dads in my audience. You very much care about your kids and involved them even in your podcast. And I think that that is so cool. And I've also done that. That's awesome. I've had my boys on. My wife's been on twice now because last week's episode, it was interesting interviewing my dad because, you know, he and I haven't always had the best relationship. We have a good relationship, but we haven't always had the best relationship. But yeah, I mean, it's cool. I've had my sister-in-law on. I've had Ed on, Ed Milet, my brother-in-law. I've had him on. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was wondering after your dad's episode, why has it been two years since you guys have seen each other? Well, the main reason is my parents live about four and a half hours north of me. And because we're so active in what our boys were doing throughout their lives, you know, they played high school basketball. My younger son played college basketball. And it's just like we never could get away to go up there. And my parents have always had some sort of excuse that they couldn't come down here. So that's why. (laughs) Yeah. Getting to see our loved ones is very challenging. I mean, I'm a mom of four and I just took three of my own kids to go visit my grandma, who's almost 95. I met with my parents in Florida. Yeah. But as much as I love her and I want to be there to hold her hand, and that's pretty much what it is at this stage, it's very challenging with kids in school and practices and a husband that works a full-time job to be able to pick up and do that. I try to do it a couple times a year, but it is me taking the kids on a plane by myself and yeah, I mean, <laughs> schlepping not, car I mean, seats and strollers. Obviously, and... 
<clears throat> yeah, they do have a much more challenging issue. But I, I mean, we just could get in the car and drive. But it is something that because of our schedules and because, you know, my wife's a teacher and I was coaching and it's just hectic. It was constantly hectic. So anyways. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that your wife is a teacher and some of the episodes that she found to be interesting and how she was like, man, I should have a mom up show. I'm like, yeah, do it. There's definitely right. an audience for that. And I've how told her several times. A podcast. Yeah, he's kind of on hiatus with that right now because he only did a few episodes. And what he found it to be is he found it to be a lot of work. Like I have my own editor and all that stuff. I mean, he's just starting off. So he doesn't have any of that stuff. So he's editing all himself. He's like, it's a lot of work, dad. I'm like, I know. Yeah, but it is. But Plus he's are... going to college and he was playing college basketball at the time. It's like he was constantly going and he's like, I have to just put this on the side burner right now. It's cool that he wanted to do it, though, that you inspired that. Yeah. yeah, no. And the kid is insanely smart when it comes to sports. I mean, he just knows everything about sports and follows players, tracks players, stats. I mean, he just has an insane amount of knowledge when it comes to sports. And so uh, when he shared the idea with me, I said that that's going to be right up your alley. Yeah. Do you have any pointers? My son is actually joining the basketball team this year in high school. What grade? He's in 10th. Okay. So I'll give him a couple of pointers. These are very, very simple. Is he a skilled player? I wouldn't say he's a skilled player yet. I mean, can he play? I mean, he's the average player. I mean, he's, yeah. can he hold his own? own up yeah. Player? Okay. He's, he's been working so, hard all summer. Okay. So number one, I've been a basketball coach for however long I can remember. And I've been a high school basketball coach. So number one, when he's away from the court, meaning when he's at home, he needs to spend some time working on his skill. So yeah, I used to tell my boys when they were practicing and trying to get better, even if you don't have a basketball, you can still practice on form, you know, technique. Mm -hmm. So what we used to call ghost shooting. So we just practice shooting the ball with, without a ball. My older son used to come in the garage and work on his dribbling drills and all that. So he used to do that right in the garage. So I highly recommend that he does that. I mean, probably every day. If he wants to get that much better, if he wants to improve, he has to work on those things every single day. Second thing is, and this is very, very simple. He needs to show up to practice early. So it could be 15 minutes early, 20 minutes early, but he needs to show up to practice early because that shows the coach that he's taking the initiative and being, obviously, it's going to impress the coach that he's there every day early. Second thing, and you're not going to like this, mom. Second thing, he needs to stay late. So when he's at practice, he needs to almost have the coach kick him out of the gym. So when practice is done, the coach will probably do a little you know, after practice talk and then go, okay, you guys can take off. He needs to go, hey, coach, can I grab a ball? Just take a couple free throw shots or something. And if the coach says yes, great. If the coach says no, you need, I need you out of here. Then go ahead and get out of there. But go to the court and just start shooting on his own, just practicing until the coach says, hey, dude, you need to go, man. A lot of dedication. <sighs> yes. And then the last thing is that when he's at games, he needs to always make sure that he is sitting as close as he can to the coach. So if he's in the game, and he gets pulled out to take a break. When he gets to the bench, he needs to tell the guys to scoot down. And he just needs to be forefront. Hey, scoot down. This is my seat. Scoot down. If it's right next to the coach. My boys always sat next to the coach because here's what the coaches do. They get up and they need to get a sub and they look right over to their left. And usually the first couple seats right there is where they're looking. And if you're there, you're fresh on their mind. So my boys did that every single time. All right. Last tip. And this will go a long way with a coach. After practice... He needs to go up to the coach. And if there's a couple of coaches, he needs to go up to the head coach. He can say thank you to all the coaches 
practice, but he needs to go to the head coach and go, hey, coach, thanks for practice today. Is there anything I need to work on? That is such good advice. Wow. So, and the coach is going to get annoyed because it's going to, he's going to go several weeks in where he's asking him every day, coach, is there anything? He's just going to say, hey, dude, you know, just, he needs to do it. He needs to do it. Now, I don't know what kind of coach he is. I don't know if he's a good coach. I don't know if he's got, you know, if he's just all about winning or if he's all about trying to develop the players or trying to help them mature or grow. I don't know. But I always respected that when players did that. And I encouraged my boys at a very young age to do that. You want to show appreciation to the coach because they're, for the most part, volunteering their time to be there coaching you or working with you. So give your appreciation to them, taking their time to help you get better and asking them what you can work on just shows them that, hey, I'm serious about improving my game. And if there's something I need to work on, I'm going to go work on it. I feel like that's such great advice, even for any project that you're working on. Whether it's project, whether it's your company, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether it's your podcast, whether you work in corporate America, whatever it is, whether it's your marriage, it doesn't matter. You need to constantly look for ways to improve. Amazing. Yes, that is such a great piece of advice. Yeah, this guy, he was a D1 player. He's been with the school for a long time. The school lost a lot of seniors last year, so... There aren't as many people on the team. And when I told the coach that my son was preparing all summer, he was like, well, he's a big kid. We're going to need him. (laughs) Oh, good. But yeah, it's a newer team. My daughter tried basketball last year, but she was on the bench most of the season. It was funny because the last game she made a winning shot that was very needed and the whole team stood up for that. That was really exciting. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you know what? They have to keep a positive attitude, even if they're sitting on the bench the whole time during games. My boys have been there. Look, my boys have been there when I was a coach. So it's just part of the game that they got to put the best players that are going to face up against the best against the opponent. So I had one game in particular where I was the associate head coach and the head coach, we were getting our butts handed to us. And I said, I said, coach, you got to get some other guys in there. And he's, so he starts putting some other guys in and these other guys, my son was on the court and these other guys started to bring the game closer. We started to come back. And my son at this time was sitting on the bench and we went into halftime. We were down by like 20. And then at halftime, we were were only down by like nine. I mean, so we, they closed the gap. So at the end of halftime, coach looks at me and goes, who should we start in the third quarter? I go, you got to leave the same guys in. They were the ones that closed that gap. We have to leave them in. And he's like, I I think so too. That's what I was hoping you were going to say, because that's what I wanted to do. But guess what? That didn't include my son. My son was not having a great game. He was not having a good game. And those are going to happen. And that's my point in telling you that is that, look, when you're not in the game and you're frustrated because you're not in the game, do everything you can to support the team and the coach. Because the second you show frustration about being on the bench and you start be a little pouty kid, whatever, the second you start showing that, the coach is going to recognize it and the coach will not put you in. So the more you support and yeah, it used to frustrate me as a coach when I'd see players just get ticked because I pulled them out or they haven't gone in yet. And it's like, you're not showing me a good attitude right now. So I really don't want to put you out there. You know? Yikes. So. It's frustration can be hard. How do you deal with that with kids? Well, first, because I was the associate head coach for high school, I wasn't the head coach. But when I was a head coach, I would always have one of my other coaches go talk to the player. Mm-hmm. So even if it was during a game, because I'm the head coach, I'm doing all the play calling and all that kind of stuff. I'd tell my other coach, I go, hey, can you go down and talk to Mike? He's frustrated right now. And he'll go down there and talk to him. So what I used to take the initiative to do when I was the associate head coach, when I see a player come off the court and he's pissed that he's come off the court, I would just follow him to wherever he was sitting. I'd sit down with him and go, dude, relax, man. 
let's take your foot off the gas a little bit. It's okay. We saw some things going on out there that weren't really matching up for you and we're going to get you back out there. So I need you to hang on with me. I need you to hang in there. Come on, support your team. That It's just a little pep talk, you know, just say, hey man, we still love you. We're still love for you. You're still one of our guys. Don't worry about it. So what about in the workplace? Yeah. What about frustrations in the workplace? And that can be really hard too. Have are, you had any going, of those? By the way? Yeah, I'm totally recording. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were just chit-chatting. All right. I like it to be conversational. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, the workplace, it's challenging in the workplace because you're dealing with adults as opposed to dealing with kids, you know, and adults are kind of set in their behaviors, you know? So you have to approach each person differently. There's going to be different ways, you know, and as a manager, there's going to be different ways that you're going to approach different individuals. And as a coach, it can be different because, I mean, I've said this before that I would rather be a coach that coaches a player that has no talent, but is coachable than a player that has all the talent in the world, but is not coachable at all. So when in the workplace, if that's a coachable person, you know, you can give them some constructive criticism and they're going to accept it, acknowledge it and get better at it. If you're approaching a person in the workplace that is not real coachable, kind of set in their ways, you kind of have to approach it a little differently. So you just can't just can't lay it out there. I mean, you can, but it might not go over so well. But with players, it's that way. Look, if you're not going to listen to me, then I can't coach you. I can't help you get better because you already think you're great. And unfortunately, you know, you're just not the best in the world. So until you're playing pros, you can either listen so you can get better as an individual to hopefully one day go to college and go to the pros, or you can do it your way and probably sit on the bench, period. I love that. That's really good. What did you dream of as a kid? I had so many different things that I wanted to do. I was artistically good. So I always draw. I used to write tons of poetry. It just naturally came to me so I could draw really well and all that. It's funny that you asked me that because I was thinking about this the other day. I went to college and when I was at college, I took an art class because I wanted to become a cartoonist. That's what I wanted to do. So I had two dreams in mind when I was in college. I wanted to become a cartoonist or an ocean biographer. So I had some science classes for studying the ocean and all that. And then I had a art class. So I had those classes going on. And there was a time in one of my art classes that the teacher said, hey, I want you to... It's so funny how we remember things in our mind that happened so long ago that had such an impact on us. It's amazing the way our mind works, but <laughs> I digress. This teacher said, hey, I want to have you guys draw a picture that draws itself. And this is a project. So you're going to have to do it on a big poster board. I want it to be nice, you know, all this. And then you're going to present it to the class in a week, whatever it was. I had no clue what the teacher was talking about. So I just kind of ran with what my mind was doing and sat down and I drew a cartoon character. And it was a cartoon character of a fox, the fox, an animal. And he was standing, you know, it was, he was all, I had him all colored in and all. I mean, he would just look really good at background and everything. And he was holding a pencil and only half his leg was drawn. So I like drew him all up, colored him in, but I left off half his leg. And I had him with his arm and the pencil, like he was drawing himself. So when she said, draw a picture that draws itself, that's what I did. And I have to tell you, I was pumped about this problem. Like, ain't no one coming up with this idea. I'm going to school this teacher right now. And I presented that to the class and she made a mockery of it. Oh, now. She, she humiliated me in front of the class. 
She said it, that is not that she goes, I absolutely did not follow the rules or the directions at all. I said, yeah, but you said you wanted us to draw a picture to draw itself. That's what it's doing. She's like, nope, you missed completely missed my point. It had to be some abstract kind of picture. And no one had a drawing like mine in the classroom. No one. Everybody had these weird pictures and I didn't, I didn't get it. So I have to be honest, I was so defeated at that point and I was so mad that I never took another art class again. Oh my God, that's heartbreaking. Stopped. I went home. I was, it was a community college that I was going to. I went home. I told my parents, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to the school anymore. So that was it. So that kind of shot down my dream of, you know, the cartoonist that kind of shot down my dream of being an an oceanographer because I wasn't going to go to the school anymore, period. I was done. I had literally just completely wanted to stop and I did quit. That's horrible. Yeah. It's frustrating because I think, you know, my path could have been different, but here's the thing. I know this isn't a religious show and all that, but I have a very deep relationship with my heavenly father, with the Lord. And I come to realize as an adult that our Lord works behind the scenes and he makes things happen in our lives. And we may not always understand and we may not always get it, but there's things going on that happen for a reason. Things don't happen to you. They happen for you. And I think that because of where I'm at today with the podcast, my experience in the military, meeting my wife, my two boys, those things would have never occurred. Truly believe this would have never occurred had that teacher not humiliated me that day. So yeah, that was a rough challenge to go through, but God was testing me and said, hey, this is a test I'm putting you through. If you trust me, you will find what you're supposed to do. And so I didn't know that then, but I knew that as an adult. I know that now. And it's hard. And you don't want to see your kid hurt, right? I mean, my parents were like, okay, if you're not going to go to school, you got to start paying rent. If you're just going to work, because I was working a part-time job too. So, and I was making decent money. They're like, if you're not going to go to school, you're going to pay rent because you're living here rent-free. And I said, well, then what if I go into the military? And my dad goes, great idea. It was kind of a joke. (laughs) It's kind of a joke. (laughs) Because I had no interest in going to the military, but I had to call his bluff. And my mom's like, no, don't do it. My dad's like, yeah, do it. You, that'll help you grow. It'll help you mature, give you work ethic, blah, 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 blah. And I had to call his bluff. So I started talking to some friends. And the next thing I know, I'm off to the Marine Corps and spent four years. And in those four years, at the end of my four years is when I met my wife. So all those things come back in a circle to lead me where I am today, which is you know, happily married man with two grown boys, a healthy relationship with them, a healthy relationship with my wife and a pretty cool podcast. Love the podcast. (laughs) I did hear you say a couple of times, though, in the Marines, you learned how to drink, curse. And what was the other thing? I learned how to kill. Oh, yeah, that. (laughs) And cuss. Yeah. So they teach you to kill first. And then when you after you've learned how to kill, then you get into the cussing and then the drinking. So. It's just a military joke. Well, my son actually wants to join the Marines. So uh, good. My nephew just joined and he just graduated boot camp just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was thrilled when he called me and told me he he signed up for the Marines. I was right on, dude, because here's the thing. Yes, it's scary for you, mom. It's scary for moms. I'm like, you're saying right on. Yeah, my eyes are falling out of my head. You were calling a bluff, but I'm not making a bluff. Yeah. Listen, I tried to encourage my boys to go in the military. I tried. Because it's organized. There's a lot of political crap that goes on in the military, you know, that you have to deal with, but that's going on everywhere, whether you're in corporate America or not. There's a lot of BS that goes on. So it's just part of life, but it's very structured. It's very organized. It keeps you in shape. It will teach you work ethic. You'll learn proper etiquette, manners, all those things, how to treat people. 
And, you know, it's kind of cool that you know how to kill people now if you need to, you know, to protect your family. I mean, those kind of things, it teaches you. And not only that, but the most rewarding thing is, is you are serving to protect your country. There's no higher honor you can have other than being a dad. There's no higher honor you can have than serving in the military to serve your country, be a representative for the United States. So I try to encourage my boys, neither one of them were going to budge, not one. So they have not budged on that at all. And here's the other cool thing. It pays for your college. So yeah, mom and dads, you might not have to pay for college if kids go to military school or go to, into the military. I paid for my college. My parents didn't have to pay for my college. I went to the military, got out of the military, went to college, got a four-year degree at a private university here in California yeah, while I was working in corporate America, while I had, was married, while I had two boys. So I got my degree at a very good school and it was completely free because of the military. So yeah, if your son wants to go into the military, that's awesome. I mean, all you can do is encourage him because is he, how old is he? He's 15. Okay. So he's got some time. He's got some time. So you don't have to really encourage him right now. He's 15. But when he starts to get the 16, 17, you know, approaching the 18 year age and he still has that itch, then go with him, go with him, go, you know what? If you're really serious about this, let's go to a new recruiting office and let's just sit and talk to the guys. You don't have to sign anything and don't let them push you into signing anything. Don't let them try to talk you or, or sell you a pipe dream. You know, just say, Hey, my son is thinking about it and I need to hear about it as well before we make that decision together as a family. So what do you got? And yeah, I'm all for it. My nephew called me several months back and said, hey, uncle, I'm, I'm going into the ring where I signed up. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because he was on a road that he wasn't sure what he was going to do with his life. He had graduated high school. He was just working, hanging out with the boys, you know, wasn't really setting himself on any type of path, wasn't going to college. So I said, yeah, that's great. And my sister, his mom, my sister was devastated. You know, I had to be a support system for her. I had to check in with her a couple times a week, just say, hey, you hanging in there, all that kind of stuff when he was away at boot camp. But we went down to his graduation and he's glad he did it. I just told my wife this morning, now he is at Marine Corps combat training, which is 30 days combat training. So he's probably having some fun. Yeah. What do you remember about boot camp and training? Boot camp's brutal. <laughs> it's absolutely hell. Now, this is when I went through, and that was in 1992, I went to boot camp. So that was 30 years, 30 over 30 years ago. So that was a long time ago. It's a lot different now because the way our culture is and society is right now, kids are treated a lot differently now than when we grew up, right? And when I went through boot camp, it was a lot more in your face, you know, it was a lot more there was, you know, they could put their hands on you if they needed to, whereas I'm sure it's probably not like that right now. So when I was in boot camp, I had a manager of a store that I worked at before I went into the military and he was in the Marine. So I got his feedback on what I need to be prepared for and all that. But I just knew that when I went to boot camp, I was going to do as I told and keep my mouth shut, period. I wasn't going to volunteer for nothing. I wasn't going to put my neck out there for nothing. I was going to do as I was told as fast as I could and keep my mouth shut. And that's what I did. And I survived. And I got into trouble several times. <laughs> I got rattled a few times by some drill instructors, but that's what they're there to do. They're there to break you down because you're set in your ways as a teenager. You're set in your ways. They're there to break you down and then build you back up. And they like to call it like building up this new machine in you. So 
if he does go to Marine Corps and he comes back, he's going to treat you and your husband a lot different than he does now. I promise. Uh, well, and then maybe I should good. let him go now. It'll be good. I want to hear about the rattles. What rattled you? Uh, we were drilling and drilling means marching. You know, we were drilling and one of the rules is you're not supposed to touch your face. You're not supposed to put your hands on your face at all. And uh, so we're marching and... I had a really bad itch going on on my cheek. Like I needed to itch, right? And I'm walking, we're, we're drilling, and I knew I couldn't touch my face. And you can't turn your head when you're drilling, you got to keep your head straight. So I'm looking out the corners of my eyes, you know, I'm trying to look around for drill instructors because I was just going to scratch my face real fast. And I'm marching and I don't see any drill instructors. I'm like, all right, I'm good. And I go, just, I went boom, just like that really quick, just to get that little itch off, right? I mean, it was so fast. Well, there was a drill instructor right behind me. He was literally right over my shoulder and I didn't know it because I couldn't see him out of the corner of my eye. He was literally right here. Yeah. And he grabbed my ear and pulled it so hard. I mean, it hurt so bad. My fist in my other hand clenched because I was like ready to punch because it hurt so bad. He pulled my ear so hard and he screamed as loud as he could in my ear. That was fun. <laughs> I hope you don't have any permanent damage from that. No, no. And you know what? He ended up being the coolest drill instructor after we graduated because after you graduate, that's the coolest thing. You know, when you're in boot camp, you have to refer to them as sir. That's it. Like, sir. But when you graduate, they're like, you don't call me sir anymore. You know, call me sergeant so-and-so or whatever. So yeah, it's just, they're cool guys after you graduate. But when you're going through their program, yeah, they're going to beat you up a bit. Yeah, I like- But he'll be fine. <laughs> I like those few tips you said about not saying anything and- just. Keep your, keep your Lay mouth low. shut. Do what they tell you as fast as you can. Keep your mouth shut and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. That is actually a lesson I've learned in life is like a lot of times I'm better off keeping my mouth shut. It's so hard though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are times when we have to speak up, you know, especially when it comes to defending our beliefs, you know what yes. I mean? So yeah, when there's those things come up, up you have to speak up. But boot camp's just a completely different animal. They are there to break you down as a human being and build you back up the way they need you to be in order for you to serve and protect this country if you ever have to go to war. So you have to think a certain way, you have to act a certain way, and you have to re be responsive to a certain way. And they have to get that out of you. And the only way to do that is through that, you know, through boot camp. So, what do you yep. think that your dad is the most proud of you for? That's a good question because. My dad, he was old fashioned. He was one of those dudes that would tell me that he loved me all the time when I was growing up. Okay. You know, being affectionate, he wasn't overly affectionate, but it was like the kiss, hug, goodnight thing, you know, when I'm off to school or whatever, those kinds of things he was fine with. What he wasn't good at, and I'm leading up to something, what he wasn't good at was telling me how great I did. And an example of that is I was a really good student in school, mainly because I was scared to death of my dad, but I was a really good student in school and I had a math class that I was struggling with. It was geometry and I was shooting for the A minus at least, and I missed the mark and got a B. And when my dad saw it, he said, Hey, I see you got a B here. You know, all right, I can take that. But why wasn't it an A? And so things like that happened in my life with him that really was frustrating. And that has an impact on a child's self-esteem and self-confidence. 
you know, that has an impact on them, regardless of how many times you do it. I mean, words hurt, especially to a child, especially to a young teenager. Words do hurt. And words hurt worse when they come from someone that you love, right? You could be walking down the street and a stranger could say, hey, knucklehead, you know, and you'd be like, whatever, dude, you know, like that doesn't hurt me, right? You teach your kids, right? Sticks and stones, right? Break my bones, what words? Okay, that's not true. Yes, that's true in certain circumstances, like that example I just gave you. But when you're talking to somebody that you respect and love and admire and look up to, and they say words to you that aren't aren't positive, it hurts. And so when you compound that over and over and over and over and over again, it can have a lasting effect. And that example that I just shared with you about the grade is something that happened to me. That's something that I remembered from my sophomore year of high school. Of all the great things I had in growing up and great experiences I had growing up, I remember that. And that's bizarre and it's insane that I remember that, but it's part how our brain works, right? These little knocks against us, these little what I call cracks that are put into our personality or the who we are can carry us. And you have to learn to break that cycle. And that's why I've broken that cycle with my boys. I won't do that to my boys. Yes, I've told my boys, if you mess up, I will be disappointed in you. If you don't do this, I will be disappointed. But that doesn't mean I don't love you any less. It doesn't mean I'm not going to berate you or bring you down or humiliate you. I'm not going to do those things. And so I changed the trajectory of my family history and how I was treated by treating my boys a different way. And my relationship with my dad right now is good. It's not great. It's good. And we can be around each other and be fine, you know, and all that. But there's still that kind of that hurt between us because of him to me. My boys don't have that. There's none of that there. The boundary isn't there. There's no second guessing that. They're two of my best friends. My boys are two of my best friends. And, you know, any of my guy friends that are are my friends, they're not my best friends. My two boys are. They're after my two boys. So, Yes, my dad is a good man. And the things that he does to me now is he tells me how proud he is of me. He tells me how much he loves me. He tells me how amazing our boys are, my wife and my boys. He tells us how great our boys are. He tells us what a good job we've done. I mean, he says all those things now, which is great to hear, but I'm a 50-year-old man. I don't need anybody to tell me how great I am. I don't need anybody to tell me that they're proud of me. I need my family, meaning my wife and my kids to be proud of me. I don't need anybody else to be proud of me. I know who I am because of these three that I have in my life, my wife and my boys. My dad telling me that stuff is good to hear now because I didn't get that as a kid, right? But it doesn't change the relationship that we have. It's still kind of crooked, right? It's still kind of broken a little bit because of the damage he did before. So my relationship with my boys isn't like that. So when I tell them, I'm proud of them when they're 40 years old or 50 years old, they're going to know it. It's not meaningless words, if that makes sense. You follow me? There is so much in what you just said that really hit for me. Wow. First off, like I heard hurt in the relationship with your interview with your dad. Like I hear that he feels bad about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he got upset in some of the questions that you asked him. Definitely. It was an emotional interview. I had to do that interview. (laughs) because there's two reasons why I did that interview, honestly, because a few years back, my wife lost her father and her father was a father figure to me. I had a very close relationship with him. 
He was a very good man and his whole family loved him and respected him and honored him. And he was just a really good guy, right? So she lost her father and I wanted to secure my interview with my dad. So I would always have the memory of him when he does pass. He'll be 71 this year. You know, he's old, but still gets around. I mean, he's still doing his thing, right? He's still working on cars. He's still doing fixing stuff. I mean, he's still in good deal, you know, good shape. So I don't know how much longer he's going to be around. He'll probably be around for a while. But my point is I wanted to have him on so I could secure in cement, have that video connection with him. The second reason why I wanted to do that is because I wanted to publicly look at him and put him on the spot and be like, these are the tough things that we need to talk about. And he'll tell me to this day, you know, I am sorry that I was not a great dad. And I can't allow him to say that to me. So I tell him all the time, you're fine. You were fine. You were fine. You were fine. Because I can't allow him to steal the attention, meaning to take the importance of what he did to me off of me, meaning you hurt me. So the focus should be on me, not you. So quit trying to steal the limelight, basically, right? So he says those things to me all the time. My mom says it too, but he says those things to me all the time. And I just, I go, stop saying that you know, because it doesn't affect me. I mean, truth be told, and I'll tell him to his face, when you say those things, it doesn't, you can say it all you want. I'm not going to be like, you know, poor guy. You know, I, I mean? love that you can express that though, and that he can take it. I mean, amazing. Well, excuse my language. I'm a grown ass man. If you can't handle what I'm going to tell you, you're a family member of mine. You're my blood. If you can't handle what I'm going to tell you, then you have some other issues going on because we need to be real with each other. Oh, and I need to hear it from you just as much as you need to hear it from me. And that's the only way to repair a relationship is to be real with each other. I mean, how important is it for a husband and wife to have great communication? You can't have good communication. You can't have okay communication. You can't have poor communication. You have to have great communication. If you don't, there's going to be issues in your relationship that are going to start to crumble. And so you have to learn how to have great communication in your marriage. I mean, with my dad, I have to be able to communicate these things to you. Dad, I have to be able to communicate these things to you. And you have to be able to communicate your feelings to me as well. But just know the stuff that you said to me and the way that you were with me as a dad, I'm a little kid. You're a grown ass man talking to a little kid the way that you talk to me wasn't good. It wasn't acceptable. And yes, you're acknowledging that now and that's fine, but we need to talk about it. We need to get it out on the table. And yeah, I mean, same thing with a marriage, right? You have to have good communication with your husband. If you don't, why are you guys married? It's like, if we're not going to talk about stuff, then there's no sense in trying to work through this because it's going to be very challenging. My wife and I have great communication. I heard that you all go to a therapist once a month. I think that's actually a genius date night. Oh my God. We enjoy going to our, we don't call her a therapist. She is a licensed family and marriage therapist. We call her a marriage coach and she knows that we call her that. We walk in, we go, what's up? We call her by her first name. We go, what's up, coach? You know, I mean, we call her a marriage coach and she helps us through so many different things. We're going through an activity right now for the next month that just different ways to work on communicating. And she has told us time and time, this is no joke. She has told us time and time again, I always love meeting with you guys. You guys are so great. There's nothing like you guys are great. You guys are perfect. She goes, you guys don't even need to come see me, but we have to, like my wife and I enjoy it. 
We enjoy going because we know that it's only going to help us be better. And we sit there for an hour and a half and just talk about us and what can we do different to continue to grow our relationship. Our boys are in their 20s. My wife and I have been married for a long time, over 26 years, and we've been together for over 28. So yeah, things are settled right now, right? And we're like, we've been together so long. We know each other. We ain't got to do nothing. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. We have to continue to work at it because if we don't, that thing called love is going to slowly fall away. And then what? So yeah, we go to a marriage coach. So parents out there, if you're watching this, I highly recommend it. Go to a marriage coach. Go to a licensed therapist where you sit down and work through things. It's only going to help you. What does marriage mean to you? Marriage is a commitment of two individuals that this is my belief, husband and wife, committed to each other as one. And as a couple, you can have kids or not, but as a couple, build a family foundation for the future. That's what marriage means to me. My commitment to my wife and to build this family foundation for our future. So yeah, I want to be able to go to meet my heavenly father and have no regrets. That's what I want. And yeah, there's going to be things I'm going to have to course correct along the way. I mean, that's life. We all make mistakes. I still make mistakes today as a husband, as a dad. You know, I still make mistakes to this day, but I want to be able to go. And when I'm about to close my eyes for the last time, I want to be able to be happy where I have no regrets. And the only way I'm going to do that is if I secure this family foundation and know that we're okay, my boys, my wife, me, we're okay. There's no cracks in our foundation. I always like to refer to cracks in the foundation. And if there are, I want to fix them before I'm gone. And if this marriage coach is one of those ways of fixing little cracks, then I'm going to do it. And if I have cracks with my boys, we're going to fix it before we decide to do anything else. So yeah, that's what marriage means to me. I love that. That's incredible. Any thoughts around legacy and what that means? Yeah. Legacy is, it's interesting because there's different perspectives or different meanings behind it. People have their own interpretation of legacy. And to me, it's sad when I see, especially entrepreneurs that feel like they're building this legacy for their family, meaning building this company for their family, right? I think that's sad because, I mean, I can see where they want to leave this company behind for their family, but why isn't your family your legacy? Why is this company mm. your legacy, right? So I always try to encourage dads. You have to remember that your legacy isn't outside the home. Your legacy is right there in the home. That's where legacy starts is in the home and everything else grows around it. Here's the thing. If you do not have a solid foundation with your family, that's your legacy. If that's not solid, how is anything else outside the home going to be working? Not very well. If your company's not going well, you need to work on that, but you need to look inside the home too, because I can guarantee you there's stuff going on there. If that's solid, if that's working great, I guarantee you that stuff around you is going to happen for a reason. It's going to happen and, and do well. You have to start with that foundation of your family and that's your legacy. Your legacy is what you've built between two people and what you're building inside the home. And yeah, I mean, that's legacy to me. Legacy is my family. Wow. It's not my career. It's not my podcast. It's not, I'm working on a book. It's not the book I'm writing. None of that stuff is my legacy. My legacy is my wife and boys. So mm, my dad will love that answer. I really feel like you've helped up my wisdom rating today. Tell me about <laughs> the book. Well, you could probably guess what it's called. <laughs> uh, Did you make that signage? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a long ways from coming out. I do have a goal of the end of the year, but I can't promise that because this has been a long time coming and I finally got connected with a guy that he's got connections to help the book kind of launch and all that stuff. So he's kind of working with me on that, but he and I have talked about it and he goes, you need to set a goal when you want to have this thing done and then just stick to it. So yeah, it's going to be kind of a mixture of everything about parenting. So basically from early stages to adulthood and everything in between. So it's going to be a little bit of everything in being a parent. There are a lot of parenting books out there, but I feel like they're very specific. So you have books that talk specifically to when you're pregnant. You have books when you specifically when they're babies. You have books when when they're going through elementary school. You have books when they're you know teenagers. You know, or books specifically for dads or books. I want it to be just kind of a general topic on being a parent. And I'm hoping that you know in this book I'll maybe share stories. But my point of doing it is just to give them something that's relatable that they'll understand and appreciate, and hopefully can apply to their own roles as parents. Yeah. So that's my goal going to be called dad up obviously but so we'll see wish me luck <laughs> i love it i love it and congrats on episode 200 and i love all of the family that you've brought onto your show so is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad let me ask him what is his secret to life mm. because that secret could be different for everybody you know some base it on religion some base it on family some base it on careers some base it on health and some base it on knowledge. I mean, there's so many different aspects to that question. So secret to life, what's his secret to life? I think it'll probably depend on the day, the but day I am life. excited to hear what he has to say. And <laughs> Brian, promote away. Thank you so much for coming on the Better Call Daddy show. Oh my gosh. I was looking forward to this. And I have to say that whenever I meet other podcasters that are kind of following or doing the same type of format to help parents. That's a win. I've had people ask me, aren't you worried about, you know, competition? No, this is like, we've heard the old adage, right? It takes a village to raise kids. So yes, parents need help. And the more of these types of podcasts that are out there, the better it is for people to gain and grow and be better as parents because yeah, you're better as parents, but you're only making your kids better. And they're our future. They're the next generation. So I appreciate what you're doing. And I want you to know that you need to keep doing it, period. Don't you. let yourself stop. Keep doing it because I always say this, I don't care if it helps one person, I'm doing a good job. I'm doing my job. I'm helping at least somebody. And you're impacting and changing people's lives when they listen to the show and look at your posts and all that kinds of stuff. So I appreciate you having me on. As far as me, I'm most active on Instagram, but I'm on everything. I have Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, or X, whatever it's called, LinkedIn. I have threads. I have Clapper. I have all that stuff. So yeah, but mainly Instagram and it's at data podcast. Be most active there. I'm always available to answer questions if they send me a DM, unless they send me a weird DM, then I won't answer questions. <laughs> and then obviously my website, dataptribe.com is my website and they can send me a message there as well. My team will get that. So I have a person that handles the backside of the website that answers all the questions and deals with emails and scheduling and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think that other than my that, my YouTube channel, Data Podcast. So yeah, make sure you subscribe. Doesn't cost you nothing to subscribe. It's absolutely free. You've heard from my mom. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. How you doing? Now I look like I'm your brother. 
I got uh, dark hair just like you. Hey, we both got a dye job. Oh, yeah. This is your uh, episode with Ryan Ward and What's Up Dad, right? Instead of uh, Better Call Daddy, right? Dad up. Dad up. Uh, I, I was making a little side joke there. But, you know, I gave it a lot of thought. When it comes to mentorship, when it comes to encouragement of a father with a son, if you're too busy in your life and you don't connect all the dots at an early age, there's a lot of catch-up work that has to be done because you don't realize how powerful the effect can be on children, on young men growing up where they really look to their father to set the example. And that hands-on example, if it doesn't really exist the way I grew up, you're then searching for extra attention. You look elsewhere and you might find it to be helpful with other people, but searching out mentors that are not your father, some of those mentors can steer you in the wrong direction just as easily as in the right direction. So fathers have a very big job to set the right example and show what they do. Easy to say what you should do, but you have to set an example physically and mentally and the right things if you want your children really to be able to be an offshoot of what our show is about, the Better Call Daddy show or a generational legacy. Isn't that part of the secret sauce is that I had such a special relationship with my grandparents and just about every grandparent that I ever met, of whether it was friends or family, I became like the favorite person of your mom's family, my own family, where getting that love and intention and encouragement where I have it for generations. Plus, as you know, I'm very close with God as well, where I have that spiritual connection as well. So when you have love and a generational love and you have a spiritual love, I was never told that I couldn't do anything. I was always pushed that you can do whatever you want. And that's why I tried to also set the example for my own children, because I got beautiful examples and we could always do better. But I was always satisfied in the accomplishments as we were going along. So if a person is doing well, but it's not what you call, you know, the perfectionist rule, you know, where it's not perfect or it's got to be perfect. Well, then if you're under that type of scrutiny, you'll never be satisfied. Okay. That's the story of people that become alcoholics is that no matter what they do on their job, they're so frustrated that it's not perfect that they numb their brain when they get home and have another drink. So we have to keep things in perspective. What I'd like to say to Brian is that maybe just like you didn't think your dad was encouraging you or pushing you in a manner that you were satisfied with, maybe you're doing the same thing now in reverse, where you've put enough pressure on yourself towards him, where you won't be able to accomplish or measure up now to your standard of communication. And that's the key. The key is, is that you still find it necessary to get coaching, even on relationship building with your wife that you adore, been with for 28 years, and how you want to be better communicating with your children, where that they know that you're there to encourage them and to accept whatever they do and to build on it. But the fact is, is that you need to do the same thing with your own dad, is that maybe he didn't realize 
the intricacies of being a father and the type of encouraging that he needed to do. So maybe, even though he might have got it wrong, he doesn't realize he got it wrong. And he's trying now that you've communicated some of these things to him, he's trying to step to the plate and do better. But you have to also give him an opportunity to do better, to add to your relationship with him. So it's clear that you respected him when you were younger, and I believe you still respect him now. And my advice and my secret sauces is to keep your generational love and communication open, and you might find that you will improve your relationship not only with your families and with your children and with your wife, but all of a sudden you'll have a much better relationship with your father as well. And I think that that is the secret sauce that we all have to accomplish is to be able to network and communicate with people and give everyone an opportunity to do better. And the only way to bring out what's really bothering us is to talk it out and to make sure that the other person that you're talking to understands your perspective. There's a lot of times you can talk to someone and they just don't get it. They don't even get what you're going through or how you're feeling. And they know, then we'll say something and it's like their jaw will drop. You take them completely by surprise because they have no idea what you're really talking about. That's why I think that if I was you, I would give your dad a little bit more encouragement yourself. I have to say, though, when he talked about getting real and that's the only way to heal and the only way to work on relationships, I agreed with him there. I think oh, if I you, agree 100 percent. If you can't if be you real, you, you tell can't like it is. Yeah. The other person might never get it as well. You remember how I told you that there's a few people that work with me in the factory <laughs> and you'd say, well, there's a couple of them where they would curse you right back out and they would tell you that this is up and that's up, which has got nothing to do with necessarily what I wanted to hear. But I told him, I'd rather somebody talk to me that way and give me 100% feedback from their chest and what's really on their mind so that I can really take a look at the situation and see whether it's worth fixing or doing better or making sure that this is a person that you still want part of your team. And I'd say to myself, I'd much rather have someone that I know cares about the place and cares about the progression of the company and yes, his individual progress too, but will tell it like it is and tell me what's really bothering him or someone else so that you really get to the crux of the matter and not where you just uh, paraded around the shop. Well, you don't really know where anybody stands on that particular issue. So you really got to have people that can come out and be vulnerable and tell it like it is without repercussions so that we can all learn from each other and come up with a solution. As you know, I've had conversations with my dad at the end of work between nine and 10 o'clock every night, even when you were all growing up. And sometimes they were even screaming contests where he'd go over what he thought should have been done. And I'd say, no, this was done. And then, and no, this is what we need to do in the future. And we'd have these conferences almost on a daily basis. Even some of the things that I thought I was 100% right on, years later, I said to myself, you know, I worked it over, I worked it over, I worked them over. And finally he said, okay, we'll do it your way. And my gosh, not only was I not 100% right, but I was 100% wrong. And he was really 100% right. It wasn't even close. And yet, the idea is that there's got to be give and take on certain issues. But sometimes, even though I thought I knew better, he really knew better. And then on some other things, as you know, 
I completely disagreed with him. I was completely right. He was completely wrong. And you learn to do better for the future, even if it doesn't include that variable with your father. But look how many people are out there that have daddy issues because their fathers do not give their children the type of mentorship, the type of real example, and give their children an opportunity to be the best that they can be, okay? I was not in that camp. I had parents and grandparents and teachers that told me the opposite, that I could be whatever I wanted to be, that if I put my mind to it, that I could accomplish anything that I set my heart in doing. It's got to be realistic also. You can't tell somebody they're playing great basketball when they, they, you know, they keep dribbling it off their foot, you know? But the point is, is that you've got to be able to see whether it's tutoring or help or extra instruction or practice. That all can give you an idea, but you do have to make progress. I do like what he said about that if you are really want to get in a game and you're on the bench, don't mope. Sit near the coach. Even if you got to shake your legs at, you're ready to go. And that's the thing, that we don't know in our lives when opportunity is really going to knock. But when it does, you better be ready. When that door opens, you better jump and get through it. There's a lot of people I know that they got an opportunity. I told you the story about Big Dudley, where he was winning local singing contests. And somebody came into that bar and gave him an opportunity to sing at the Grand Old Opera. And he says, well, I mean, I prefer the blues and jazz. I'm not really a country singer. But he says, don't bring your band. You just show up. So what did he do? Instead of getting on a bus and going down to Nashville, what did he do? He went to the bar. He drank with all his buddies. And they didn't want the band. And they stuck together. And he missed an opportunity to sing at the Grand Old Opera and maybe get his career really going, okay? And that woulda, coulda, shoulda was part of his life for the 10 or 15 years he worked in the factory, he worked in the finishing department, he worked in the spinning department. And that story comes up for 15 years working, where one of the greatest opportunities in one's life doesn't necessarily come again. So you've got to be able to take advantage of it when the opportunity is there. So when you're on the bench, or when you're in life where there's an opportunity to get into the game of life, you better be in there with 100% positivity and give it your all when that time comes because it might be that same great opportunity in the future. And the more times you go through that door of opportunity and give it your all, you want to hear something? More doors open. More possibilities continue to occur. So when you work towards taking steps forward and being positive with your life, there's some secret sauce for you, is never give up. Keep going after your dreams. And there is a chance for the success. And sometimes at the end of our days and lives, the success that we thought was so wonderful and so great and so grander, what is its real meaning? Its real meaning is an example for your children and your children's children to do the same thing and follow that path, the path, the work, the motivation of moving forward with your life. That's what you need to pass on to your children and your children's children. Let's give them opportunity, encourage them that they can also have a beautiful path with their lives.
and all the accomplishments that we have on the way mean nothing if you can't pass it on to others. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. (laughs) I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now.